Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Enjoy today's podcast. Can you imagine what Eve must have felt? I mean, the bewilderment of being the first woman ever to be pregnant. I mean, all of a sudden, her her belly just starts growing, and it feels like there's like a circus going on inside of her womb. There's just some thing in her doing backflips and intent on stealing her sleep. But somehow, somehow, I think she knew that she was carrying a child. I don't know, mother's intuition, I guess. But I'm sure beyond being the first woman to experience morning sickness and weird pregnancy cravings, oh, Adam, could you go find me some more ginger? Oh, see, I'm really feeling like some more of those dried turnips right now. <laughs> but, but I wonder if Eve, I wonder if she felt sad more than scared. I mean, after all, it wasn't that long ago that it was just, just, just Adam and Eve, and they, they were alone in the garden, newly made and newly wed, and everything was right. I, I mean, the trees had the juiciest fruit on them that you could imagine. The animals played in peace. The water in the river was clear and bright. Everything was good, but then, but then along came the snake whispering his sweet deception into her ear. Eve, hey, Eve, it's me. Hey, did God really say that you can't eat from any of these wonderful trees? Well, no, Eve had said, no, no, he didn't say that. But then, then she thought, what, what, what did he say? I mean, why weren't they allowed to eat from that tree in the middle of the garden anyway? And it was like the snake knew exactly what she was thinking. He said, God doesn't want you to eat from that tree because he knows if you do, you'll be like him. You'll know what he knows. And Adam was right beside her. He heard the whole thing. He was standing right there. He should have just stomped on the snake right then, just crushed that serpent right then and there and avoided the whole mess, but he didn't. She took a bite. Adam took a bite too. And immediately, something changed. She, she looked at Adam, and she felt fear. They heard the footsteps of the Lord coming down the garden path for their morning walk together, but instead of running out to meet him like they normally did, this time they hid, <laughs> hiding from God. You know how that goes. The Lord found him, of course. didn't take him too long. He asked what happened. Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the snake. And, and then God told them what had to happen now. He'd already told them. Just like I said, God said, now, now everybody's going to die eventually. Uh, that was just the first thing, though. God also said that now for Adam, his work would hurt, and, and it would be hard. And now he said that for Eve, her, her childbearing would hurt. Oh, she felt that now, how she wished she wouldn't have taken that bite. But, but before they had to leave the garden, before they had to set out on their new life of pain, God said one more thing. She remembered it just like it was yesterday. He looked at the snake with rage in his eyes. And God said, serpent, the descendants of this woman will despise you and your kind. And one is coming who will destroy you. 
He will stomp on your head. Oh, you will strike his heel, but he will crush you. So, so Eve wondered, maybe, maybe there was hope after all. Maybe, maybe the world didn't always have to be like this. Maybe, maybe this baby in her womb was the serpent crusher that God had promised. Maybe they'd get to go back to the garden. But of course, we know that the son in her womb was not the serpent crusher. Her son's name was Cain, and the only thing he crushed was the skull of his brother, Abel. And, and, and from Adam and Eve to Cain on down, the children were as bad as their parents. The world got no closer to the garden, but there were still a few who clung to the hope of the promise that God had made to that serpent in the garden. When God said to the snake in Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between her offspring and yours, he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Now, let's fast forward a little bit to the night we all remember. There's a young girl, she's nine months pregnant, about to pop. <laughs> Fiance's standing by her side when all of a sudden the labor pains start and all fast forward uh, past all the contractions and the pushing when all of a sudden the unmistakable cry of an infant pierces the night. And the girl wraps the baby in some strips of cloth and she lays him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And this, this is the scene we love, Right? This is the scene we know so well this time of year. And yet, there's more to it than typically appears in the ceramic nativity on your mantle. Uh, we're starting a new series today called The Clearer Vision of Christmas. And we're going to tell the Christmas story all this month. We're going to tell it from Joseph's perspective. And we're going to tell it from Mary's viewpoint. But today, I want to start by telling the Christmas story from heaven's view. Our text is going to be Revelation chapter 12. We're going to read all 17 verses here as, as John gives us the apocalypsis, the unveiling of what heaven saw that night. I know it's a big chunk, but hang with me. All 17 verses of Revelation chapter 12. John writes this. He says, a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled to the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was not strong enough and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then... I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens and you who dwell in them. The woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He's filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. 
When the dragon saw that he'd been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who'd given birth to the male child. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness where she would be taken care of for a time, times, and half a time out of the serpent's reach. Then, from his mouth, the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast to their testimony about Jesus. There was a wonderful Bible teacher by the name of Bob Lowry. Uh, He passed away a few years ago. And uh, one Christmas season, the Lowry family got out all their Christmas decorations and they started setting up their nativity scene. And, And Bob was a Bible teacher. He knew Revelation chapter 12. And so he went and he found a toy dragon and he put it in the nativity scene right next to the sheep and the cows. Well, uh, Bob's wife, Marilyn, must have thought that was a little bit too violent for Christmas because she, she took the dragon back out of the nativity scene, but Bob went and found the dragon again and put it back in. Well, Marilyn went, took the dragon out one more time, but Bob went yet again, found the dragon, and stuck it back in the nativity scene. And you know, I think, I think that Bob was right. Because yes, violent though it may be, we see here in Revelation chapter 12 that there's an unwelcome guest at the manger. This nativity scene, this this scene that we celebrate at Christmas, this is not just some heartwarming picture from a Hallmark movie with hot chocolate and Christmas cuddles and all kinds of precious moments, figurines. No. Behind the scenes, from heaven's viewpoint, there is a snarling red figure towering over tiny little Mary and Joseph, eager to destroy this child. Less a silent night, more a violent night, where heaven and hell meet to fight. Joy to the world, but this dragon's got its wings unfurled. Peace on earth and mercy mild, but that's monsters trying to eat this child. Angels we have heard on high, will the baby live or will he die? While hark the herald angels sing, this dragon's trying to kill our king. What is going on here? Well, if we want to understand what's happening in Revelation chapter 12, first I think we need to look at the three main characters we're introduced to. Who are they? Well, let's start with the obvious one. Let's start with the dragon. I think the identity of the dragon really is as plain as day. John says in verse 9 that he is that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. It's the snake from the Garden of Eden. He's back on the scene. He's at his tricks again. It's the devil. The Greek word for devil is the word diabolos. It means slanderer. In other words, the devil loves to hurl accusations against you, to slander you. He's like a a prosecuting attorney who goes before God to try to convince God that you are guilty. Uh, The Hebrew word for Satan is the word Satan. It's a title. It actually just means adversary. It means that he's against us. He's trying to accuse us. He's trying to drag us back into darkness and disorder. John says that this dragon is red. That's the color of death. He has has seven heads and crowns on his heads, and and he's got ten horns, and with his tail he swept a third of the stars out of the sky. So without getting too far into the weeds of the details of this, even a child could know that what John is trying to communicate is that this dragon is powerful, he's evil, and he hates God's people. The dragon is the devil. The next character we see is the baby, a male child. Well, who's this? You guys know how 
uh, sometimes people say ridiculous things to pregnant women. <laughs> you know, like the baby will be moving around a little bit while music's playing on the radio or something. They'll say, oh, your little kid's going to be a guitar player. <laughs> you know, or the baby will kick and they'll say, oh, you got a soccer star on your hands. Or they'll like, you know, kind of size up the mom and the dad, see if they're an okay pair. and be like, oh, your kid's going to be good looking. Or I guess if they're just trying to make you feel better or something like that. <laughs> but, but take a look at what John says about this baby here in verse 5. John says, she gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule the nations with an iron scepter. But nobody's ever said that about your kid before. You see, that's actually a quotation from Psalm 2. Psalm 2 is a prophecy about the Messiah. John's giving us a clue here. Oh yeah, the baby is Jesus. The dragon's the devil, the baby's Jesus. Who's the woman? That's a little bit trickier. Now, some of our Catholic brothers and sisters would say that this woman is Mary, but on closer inspection, she appears to be a little too big to be Mary. As I know it's a rude thing to say about a pregnant woman, right? But plus the reference here to the woman's offspring and the dragon pursuing her, that's a little bit confusing. Rather than seeing this woman as an individual figure, I think we should interpret her as a corporate figure representing God's Old Testament people, the whole nation of Israel. The Old Testament in Genesis 37 describes the 12 tribes of Israel as 12 stars. Well, look what John says. This woman has 12 stars that she's crowned with here. Also at various places in the Old Testament, Israel is described as this woman going through labor pains, just like we see here in Revelation 12. And we know that ultimately the labor pains of Israel led to the Messiah, Jesus himself coming from Israel. So yes, the dragon is the devil, the baby's Jesus, and the woman is the representation of God's Old Testament people. So now that we know the characters of this story, what happens in this story here in Revelation 12? Well, I think we see three big results. First one's quite simple. The baby is alive. Yes, there's a dragon who's hovering in front of this woman in labor. He is licking her chops, eager to destroy the ministry of Jesus before it can truly begin. In other words, you might remember from Matthew's account of the Christmas story when Herod finds out that there's some newborn king from the wise men and he slaughters all the young boys ages two and under in Bethlehem. Understand that that was not just the rampage of a politically paranoid monarch. That was the scheming plot of the devil himself. Paul says in Ephesians chapter six, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And I think in our heart of hearts, we know that. We don't, we don't have to look too hard these days to see the devil at work, do we? When your family's broken and your children have wandered away, I see the dragon snarling. When money's tight and you don't know if you're gonna be able to make ends meet and you're not really sure if God can be trusted, the dragon gets a foothold in your heart. When your quiet moments alone are filled with fear and temptation, the dragon is lurking in the corner. When you decide that it would be easier to stay in the dark rather than step into the light, the dragon is the one whispering that in your ear. When cancer strikes or the marriage is stale or you're too busy to spend time in God's word or to hop into a home group, when self-hatred and doubt plague your mind, the dragon's right there. But... Don't be afraid. Because here in Revelation 12, at the last possible moment, the baby in the manger is rescued by God. Verse five says, her child was snatched up to God. 
and to his throne. Now, this is the story of Jesus, about as condensed as you possibly can. So yes, we see here that the dragon did try to stop Jesus at his birth, and he failed. Uh, Later, the dragon tried to stop Jesus by tempting him in the desert. The dragon tried to stop Jesus by sending demons to thwart his ministry. The dragon tried to stop Jesus by getting Peter to try to talk Jesus out of dying. The dragon tried to stop Jesus by getting Judas to betray him. But Jesus was faithful. Even unto death, Jesus was the only son of Adam, the only offspring of Eve to refuse to heed the serpent's lies. And Jesus died, he rose again, and he is now ascended up into heaven, and now there's nothing that the dragon can do. That baby's alive. The baby's alive, that's the first thing. Second thing is this. The dragon is beaten. The dragon is beaten. Years ago, there was a, a publishing house that brought together this panel of 28 educators and historians, and they tasked them with uh, determining what the 100 most important events in human history were and ranking them in order of importance. Well, after months and months of work, the panel decided that the most important event in human history was the discovery of America. (laughs) And then Gutenberg took second place with the invention of the printing press. 11 different events tied for third place, and five events tied for fourth place. And the events tied for fourth place were the writing of the U.S. Constitution, the development of the X-ray, the development of ether, and the life of Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus tied for fourth. He didn't even make the podium. Sure, I get it. This may not look like it's all that important. It might look like just some baby, a baby in some hay. And sure, when Jesus died on the cross, it looked like it was just a carpenter nailed to a tree. It didn't look that important, but this was so, so much more. You see, the snake crusher had finally come. God had fulfilled his promise. Satan, he thought he crushed Jesus on the cross, but he only bruised his heel. When Jesus died on the cross, that was the son of Eve passing the test in the garden, shunning the lies and crushing the head of the serpent once and for all. The baby is alive and the dragon is beaten. We actually see the victory of Jesus three times in this text here. First, we saw it, yes, when the dragon fails to devour the baby at birth, but then we see the victory again as Michael, the chief warrior angel of heaven, battles the dragon in heaven. I learned this week that the name Michael, it means who is like God. That's interesting. Because you remember the lie that Satan whispered to Eve way back in the garden? You can be like God. It was the same lie that Satan himself bought into when he was a glorious angel who became proud and said in Isaiah 14, I will make myself like God, like the Most High. But Michael says, no, who who is like God? He destroys the devil's lies. He casts the dragon down out of heaven. Jesus won this battle at the cross, and Michael now reflects the victory in this battle in heaven. Who is like God? No one. The dragon is defeated at the manger, and the dragon is defeated in heaven. And so verse 12, John says, therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But before you get too excited about the dragon being defeated, look what the dragon's up to now. Second half of verse 12. It says, but woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. That's the third result of this story that we see. Yes, the baby is alive, the dragon is beaten, and the world is in trouble. Satan has been beaten, yes. He's been thrown out of heaven. He has been bound. 
He cannot coerce God's son. He cannot conquer God's territory and he cannot condemn God's people. But he also doesn't learn very fast. Because although he's unable to defeat and devour Jesus, he now takes it out on us. You remember how earlier we said that the woman represented the Old Testament people of God? Well, in Revelation 12, the the image actually kind of morphs as the story goes on. The woman, after she gives birth, she flees into the desert where it says that God protects her for 1,260 days. That may seem like a random number to you, but it's actually a number that's drawn from the previous chapter, Revelation chapter 11, where it represented the church age. So, That means that the woman giving birth represents the Old Testament people of God. Then when the woman flees to the desert, she represents the New Testament people of God. And then it says this in verse 17. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast to the testimony about Jesus. Wait, hold on. The offspring of the New Testament church, people who obey Jesus and hold tight to his truth, That's us. See, we're not just spectators of this story. We are participants in it. There's a target on your back. The dragon has his sights on your marriage. He's got his crosshairs leveled on your children. So how will we overcome such a monstrous enemy? Well, we already have. Remember, I told you that we see the victory of Jesus three times in this text, but I only told you what two of them are. Yes, we see the victory of Jesus through the manger. We see the victory of Jesus through Michael. And now here we see the victory of Jesus through you. Verses 10 and 11 says, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God. That means right now. Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, who accuses them before our God, day and night has been hurled down. And they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. We are victorious through the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. So what do you do when the dragon whispers in your ear that, oh, God is so restrictive. He obviously doesn't want you to have any fun. Look at the manger. Look at the cross. And behold God's generosity. What do you do when the dragon makes you suffer and you're just not sure if you can take it anymore? Look at the manger. Look at the cross. And behold the serpent crusher. What do you do when the dragon hurls his accusations against you and tells you that because of your past, you have no future? Look at the manger. Look at the cross. And behold, the baby is alive and the dragon is beaten. And because of his past, he has no future. Listen, when you trust Jesus, God no longer listens to Satan's accusations against you, and neither should you. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That red-tailed prosecutor has no place in this church or in your mind because our heavenly defense has been mounted. The eternal attorneys, father and son, judge, jury, and executioner. The deciding evidence is the blood of the snake crusher spilled on the cross, and the closing argument is your testimony as you declare the truth of the gospel. So, yes, Bob Lowry was right to put the dragon in the nativity. 
But Marilyn Lowry was also right to take it out because she had read the end of the story. Let's pray. God of heaven, thank you for always keeping your promises. Thank you for putting a plan in motion at the very beginning after sin number one, you promised that you were gonna send somebody to fix it all, to crush that snake. And you did through the death of your son and through his resurrection We see your willingness to save and your power to save and we embrace it now. We are so desperately in need of saving. And so now as we take communion, we drink in the blood that was spilled on our behalf. We feast on this body that was shredded so that we could be free from the clutches of the dragon and we praise you that our victory is secure. By the blood of the lamb and the word of this testimony, we claim this triumph. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It's our desire for you to grow in your understanding of Christ's love as you partner with us in our mission to love all people to new life in Christ. If you have any questions about our church or would like to plan a visit with us, go to plainfieldchristian.com. If you would like to receive our podcast every week, we encourage you to subscribe to the Plainfield Christian Church podcast on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Have a great week.